0: I've got a question I want us all to think about this morning as we prepare to get into the word of God and here's the question. Why are you here? And I don't want to misinterpret the question. The question is not why are you here? Okay? It's it we 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 welcome you. We we're glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. God's glad you're here. <coughs> what brought you here today? Why are you here? What what are you hope to see happen today what expectation did you come with today why are you at Harvest Hill today why are you here and I really want you to think about it because this is what we're going to be diving into here in a second in in the word of God is why are you here and so you may need to just kind of close your eyes and, and think about it and pray about it really answer and I don't want your church answer well you know I love Jesus. And that may be it. That may be why you're here. But there's, there's not a wrong answer at this moment. It's really asking your heart, okay, why am I here? Why am I here? Why am I at Harvest Hill? Why am I in Stratford? Why, why am I in a relationship with the person in a relationship? Why am I married? Why am I at the job I'm at? But let's just focus on this morning. Why am I here in this moment? And as we think about this for a second, Bridget and Jackson are going to lead us in a song, and I'm actually going to ask you not to sing. I know that's going to be hard for some of you all. Uh, you can join in eventually, but I really want you to focus on this question and answering this question for yourself. Why are you here?
1: Through waters and So soul will embark And I'll follow your voice straight into the dark And if from the course you intend I depart Speak to the sails of my wonder Truth is a compass that points me back north. Jesus, my My captain, my soul's trusted Lord. Lord. And all my allegiance is right for me. I skies before me, and I'll glide this open sea. Like the stars your word will align my voyage and remind
0: Now comes the more difficult part. I want you to turn to the person to your right or your left. Maybe you don't have someone to your right or your left. Maybe just around you. And I want you to tell them why you are here. Go. (laughs) Today in our our series, uh, Pilgrimage to Passovers, we're working our way to Easter We're dealing with a question that was directed at Jesus when he arrived at the temple. And we should keep in mind the temple was the place where the presence of God was believed to dwell. The question that was given to Jesus was in a question on his authoritative intention. As Jesus was asked, why are you doing what you are doing and who gave you the authority to do it? I begin this morning asking, why are you here? I, I want you to know I began with myself. I, I didn't ask you to do something I did not do just up here, but even before this moment. Why am I here? Why is my curtain here? And for me answering this question, it had to begin first with my salvation. I have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. I've come to understand that there is one true God. He is worthy of praise and worthy of worship. And I understand how God's word, which is to guide and direct everything I say and do, calls me to be with the body of believers, calls me to be in a church, calls me to be with brothers and sisters in Christ. So that is why I'm here off the bat. And some of y'all may, that may be you. I'm here because I'm saved. And if you're saved, you should probably go to church. But maybe you're like me as well because I went even further. I'm specifically here because this is where God has called me and my family to be. We, have, we had a sense of peace. We had a sense of guidance and direction. We hear God, heard God speaking to us and leading us and opening doors that were just amazing us that were open to lead us this place in Stratford, Missouri at Harvest Hill that this is where God wants us to be. And you may be able to relate to that as well. This is where I feel God wants me to be. I have a sense of peace about being in this place. I I feel welcome and at home, and this is kind of my my family, my church family. This is what I feel. For me, it goes even further. You know, several years back, uh, almost 19 now, God called me into the ministry. A couple years back, almost 10 now, he called me to be a pastor. I was in youth ministry, children's ministry, worship ministry, discipleship ministry, whatever you could attach to youth ministry, I I did it in the church. And so I'm here not only because I'm saved, not only because God called me here, but I'm here doing what I'm doing at this moment because this is what God has commanded me to do. And I've wrestled with those things. I haven't always been at peace with being a pastor and being the minister at a church. Um, And so I have to remind myself this is what God has called me to do. So my answer has been this. I'm here because I am saved, called, commanded, guided, and equipped by God to be here in this moment. And all those things, I'm here to meet with him. A song that Jackson and the worship team led us in is We Are Here For You Sometimes those words can become such just words. We can just sing those because they're up on the screen. And this goes through the motion with actually thinking, Lord, am I really here for you? Or am I here for some other reason? If you have your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to make your way to the gospel of Mark. Mark's in the New Testament. It's the second book, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. We're going to be in chapter 11 this morning. We're going to begin in verse 27 here in a second. We've been going through the series called Pilgrimage to Passover. We've been walking through the last week of Jesus leading up to His crucifixion, ultimately His resurrection, and the festival going on in Jerusalem at this time was the Jewish Passover. And so we're looking at the things Jesus went through and what we can learn from Jesus' last week le- leading to His crucifixion and resurrection. We've seen a couple of weeks ago on Sunday there was a parade. Hence we call it those Sunday before Easter, Palm Sunday. On Monday, there was a cursing of a fig tree and some tossing of the temple tables. We come to Tuesday today, and Tuesday is a day of tests. Tuesday begins in verse 20, actually, of Mark chapter 11, as the lesson is taken from the cursed fig tree, but continues into chapter 12 and to chapter 13. In chapter 12 of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is given a series of questions in order to test him and to trap him, trying to get him to, to mess up his words. But you can be confident to know this and you can read it later in your own time. Jesus passed every test with a perfect score. In chapter 13, Jesus goes on to teach about the, the days that are coming, leading to his crucifixion and the resurrection, trying to give his disciples understanding of what is about to take place. And he goes even further talking about the days after and what the days will be like and how people will be saying, well, here's the Christ and here's the Christ and false prophets will rise, leading all the way up to the point where the, every tongue, every tribe, every nation will come before God and be judged by who they were on this earth and how they lived their life and whether they were a child of God or not, whether they accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now for our our time period, I'm not going to preach through all that so some of y'all can thank God in your prayers later, we're going to be looking at the very first question given to Jesus And see how this relates to us, and particularly to our question we started with, why am I here? And so we're going to begin in verse 27, which really launches the rest of these interactions on this day. Verse 27 of Mark chapter 11, and the word of the Lord says, And they came to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people. For they all held that John was really a a prophet. So they answered, Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. I don't know about you, but when I enter into a room of people and I notice someone making a beeline straight for me, I get a little nervous. I don't know if you ever had that happen at your job or when you've entered into a crowd of people and someone sees you and they just start coming right at you like there's no one else in the room. I just get nervous because in my personal experience, and maybe you've had some other experiences, but my personal experience is they're coming at me for one of three reasons. The first one, which is the one I'm hoping, is they're very excited to see me. They want to give me a hug and shake my hand and tell me how much they missed me since the last time they saw me, even if it was just last week. Those are great ones. Then there's those where people are making a straight beeline because they have something very important that's pressing upon their heart that they want to share with me. Maybe it's a prayer request. Maybe it's an answered prayer that they've seen. Maybe it's just something going on in their life that they just want to bring to my attention. They just want to share a part of their life, and, and they feel it's important just to come right at me and do that. The final one, which is my least favorite, is when someone makes a beeline at me because they have a complaint. And so I walk into a room and they see me and they come right at me. And the very first thing they want to do is just unload this complaint upon me. And, and that happens. I mean, it's happened in my life. It's probably happened in your life. Here in Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 27, Jesus arrives at the temple. And the scribes, the elders, the Pharisees see Jesus walk in. And did you notice what It says, As soon as he comes in, he was walking in the temple. He just came in through the gate. The chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. So they beeline Jesus. They had something important they wanted to say. They had something they wanted to bring to his attention. Now we know throughout the Gospels that people were being drawn to Jesus all the time. So these people were actually drawn to Jesus, even though they were opposed to what Jesus was doing. If you read about the scribes and the elders and the chief priests, what we need to understand is these were the cool kids. These were the cool kids in Jerusalem. These were the cool kids at the temple. These were the people that everyone else looked to and respected. And when Jesus started doing what he did, he was kind of like the new kid that came into the school that was disrupting the status quo. And so the cool kids needed to put the new kid in his place. He needed to understand who actually ran these halls and who actually ran these temples. Jesus was disrupting the status quo. And these individuals right here in verse 27, these were the religious elite. The chief priests, he oversaw all of the temple worship. The scribes made sure the law of God was given to the people. The elders offered leadership to all the people of God. And even though we don't read it right here in this passage, we know that earlier in chapter 11 and on into chapter 12, that these three groups of people were coming at Jesus with an intention. They wanted to see Jesus arrested, and the Bible says they wanted to destroy him. And so they beelined it to Jesus. He came in, they're not excited that he did what every righteous Jew should do in coming to the temple of God to hear the word of God and to offer up sacrifices and to worship God during this festival of Passover. That was not even on their radar. They wanted to beeline to Jesus to let let him know their disapproval of him. They had good intentions. I love that phrase, good intentions. You ever use that of somebody? Well, they had good intentions. What are we actually saying there? They tried something, they failed miserably at it, but they had good intentions. I think it's one way that we say, you know, we're giving them grace, right? They had good intentions, so, you know, grace upon them. You know, I used to say that about our kids, when we were potty training our kids and they finally learned that the potty was in the little room with the toilet in it and they went to the potty and we would be as parents all excited that are going to do it and then you go and see what they did after they were done and notice everything got everywhere except the potty, you say, oh, they had good intentions. They tried, but they failed miserably. There's no doubt in my mind this group of the chief priests and scribes and the elders came to Jesus with good intentions. Their overall goal was to protect the sanctity of the temple. They were to protect the holiness of God. They were put over to protect the people of God, to which they believed that Jesus was disrupting that. And the events of the past couple days with the, the parade coming in, the tossing of the temple tables, they were getting tired of all of Jesus's theatrics and they wanted clarification on why he was doing what he was doing. Why are you here? Who gave you the authority to do what you are doing and what you are teaching? So they come to Jesus and they want meaning. They want to know his authority. They want to know who gave Jesus the permission to do what he is doing in this temple to which they were in charge of. That's what's going on here. So Jesus, why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you here? This group had good intentions, but their intentions were darkened by sinful motives. In their minds, Jesus was messing up the status quo. He was messing up everything that they had worked so hard to achieve. These were Jewish men who had spent their entire life becoming what they were at this moment. They had studied the scriptures. They had dedicated their lives to God. They had committed themselves to ministering to the people. And they had arrived now at the peak of the Jewish culture. These men had power. And it was that power that was beginning to corrupt their life. And so what we see here in verse 27 through 33 is is an interaction of a visual representation of established authority. Established authority with the chief priests and the elders and the scribe versus eternal authority. And we may read through the Gospels and shake our heads at at this group of people, but we have to realize we're all in danger of doing the exact same thing is we become enamored with what we have accomplished. We have put all this hard work into this. We have put all this time into it. We've had our dreams and we have gone for it. We have shot for the stars. And what we see here is when our established authority collides with eternal authority, we are in danger of building a system with no room for a Savior. We might think that it doesn't happen, but churches all around this world right now sing praises about the good old days. And so they stay in the good old days, leaving God no room to do something in the present or the future days. They have a system which has no room for a Savior. And when we have a system with no room for a Savior, we don't allow Jesus Christ to come into our life and do anything. So we wonder why we get stuck in a spiritual rut. We buy into the lies that, you know what, I'm doing all right. At least I'm doing better than so-and-so. I understand that I make mistakes. I understand that I sin and I fall short, and I don't always do it right. But you know what? I have good intentions. This question posed to Jesus is one we have to stop and ask. Why am I here? Why am I doing what I am doing? Why do I do what I do? They were asking Jesus, who sent you? These men, they had sat under mentors and rabbis. They spent time in school and training. They had paid their dues. But Jesus, he was from Nazareth. He didn't sit under a rabbi or mentor. He was the son of a carpenter. He didn't even come from the tribe of Levi. He came from the tribe of Judah. Here was this man that the people were being overwhelmed with. By what he was doing and teaching. these, These men here couldn't understand it. Notice they did get one thing right if you look there in Scripture. They were intentional about seeking Jesus. He came to the temple and what did they do? Let's go straight to him. They were intentional about seeking Jesus. That's the good thing they did. But their failures, they were not intentional about knowing Jesus. We can come with the same intention this morning. We can come to know God more. We can come with good intentions of seeking Jesus, but we can leave in failure because we sought Him but never come to know Him personally. We've gained more information. See, these men, they just wanted answers. They didn't actually want to know who Jesus was. They didn't actually want to know what he was preaching about and what he came to accomplish. They just felt like they were entitled to answers. They sought Jesus, much like many of us may be doing in this moment right now, but they had no room in their heart for what Jesus wanted to do with them. Jesus doesn't answer their question. But notice that he doesn't say he wouldn't. He tells them, I'll answer your question, but first you have to answer my own question." He wanted to deal with their heart. See, they had a system. And their system allowed their heart to become hardened. And their heart was so hard that there was no room for the Savior to come in and to intercede in their life. And so he poses this question. And even though we may read through the Gospels, and you may come across the group of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the chief priests and the scribes, and, and like automatically, because we grew up in fairy tale type of, of world and language, that we think villain, 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 bad people. Well, Mark doesn't present these people necessarily as villains nor idiots. They understood what Jesus had asked them. He gives them a 50-50 multiple choice question. It's either A or B. You give me which one you think it is. But they understood what he was asking, that they had options. But their system did not allow them to answer in any way. Because they understood that if they answered that John's baptism was from heaven then they were wrong in the way they treated John. And they were wrong in the way they understood John's message because John's message was a calling of repentance of baptism to prepare the way for the Messiah. And so if they were to say John's baptism was from heaven, then they would have to say that his baptism was preparing the way for the Messiah to which Jesus Christ was, in which they got their answer, that that's the authority he came in. Their system did not allow that. And so they could go with option B. Well, option B, they began thinking about that. If we say that it's from man, the problem with that is that the people really like John. And they really believe that John was a prophet of God. And if we say that it's from man and not from heaven, then the people won't like us the way we want them to like us because that's our system. We want people to like us and to see us in a place of authority. And so they tell Jesus, we don't know. They're put in this predicament. That's why answering the question, why am I here, why am I here is important for us. We may have come to this place with intentions, but those intentions might be building a wall to God to do what He actually wants to do in this moment. Again, Jesus was willing to answer the question, but it was going to require for Him to be allowed to deal with their heart first. And so the same thing goes for us when dealing with that question. To ask God a question is to engage in the spiritual discipline of prayer. And the Bible says this in James chapter 4, verse 4. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. And what we discover in the passage is that there are three dangers of having good intentions, which we all might be tempted to be in this place. First, good intentions make us present, but we miss the presence. This group of people here, Mark, were physically present with Jesus. They were physically Physically in the presence of God in the flesh. They were physically present with absolute truth. Do you see that? They were right there. But just like us this morning, being physically present does us little good if we are not going after the presence of God. Not presents like Christmas presents, His presence. Last several years, my family and I, and we've had this blessing uh, through Jamie's parents of getting to go down to the beach. And so every year, near summer's near the end, and we know that this is kind of the staple of summer vacation is coming to close, and school's getting ready to start back up. As we get to go down to the beach, and uh, every year, it doesn't matter how many times we've been down there, the one thing we want to see is sea life. You know, because we live, you know, around cows and cornfields and stuff like that so we want to see stuff in the sea stuff we don't see all the time and so every year we go down the beach first night there we plant our chairs in the sand and all the adults are just like old people we we get our chairs in there and we sit down and we just stare back and forth the kids are doing whatever they're doing we've been with them for 18 hours in the car they they'll be fine right and it doesn't matter how many times we've been there. We'll just, and every single day, it would be the same thing. And even if we're in the water, the adults are, are acknowledging the children are there, making sure they're not drowning or anything, but we're just kind of looking out. And part of that, when we're in the water with the kids, we want to make sure there's not something like a fin hovering on the surface of the water. But we tell our kids, you just have to outswim the cousins. That's all you got to do, all right? Just get out before they do. You'll be fine. But we're always looking, and it, and it happens every single year. It's going to happen this year. I mean, that's we're talking about prophecy. Era. That's my prophecy right now. It's going to happen again this year because it has happened every single year. There will be we'll be sitting in our line. We'll be staring off into the horizon, the ocean view, and someone will exclaim from their chair, "Did you see that?" And so everybody will look in that direction, and we'll, we'll, you'll, do, you'll take your sunglasses off, and you'll. What was it? What would you see? We were present, but we missed the presence. We had good intentions of seeing something, but looking in the wrong spot. And so someone gets excited that they see dolphins jump or fish jumps or supposed shark in the water. And the rest of us are left looking. I think sometimes we can come to church and do the exact same thing. If we're not really asking, why am I here today? I can be physically present present in the presence of God, yet completely miss it. Because if all I'm trying to be is present, then I'm coming with good intentions, but that ultimately means I'm failing at what really needs to be done here. We need the, the mercy and grace of being in the presence of a holy God who wants to interact and engage in our lives. He wants to speak us and meet with us where we are. And the beauty of what God's Word says is He knows everything about us, everything we're going through, every joy and every bummer of life. He knows it all. He knows everything we bring in with us. Nothing is surprising him. Nothing is taking him off guard. He knows what we bring into this place, and he still desires to engage with us on a personal level. But the sad thing about church is sometimes people can be in the presence of God, physically present but completely miss it. What a sad thing for these people beyond to look Jesus straight in the eye, beyond to hear His voice, the tone of His voice, what it sounded like, beyond to hear what he sm- or smell what he smelled like, and yet completely miss. God in the flesh was standing right in front of him. But how many of us have missed that on Sunday mornings? We've been here, but completely missed. I've been in the presence of holiness. I think we can relate to this because there's there's many of us have gone to conferences, whether it's been Designed for Life or Women of Joy and, you know, Promise Keepers. And we have our youth that go to camp and our kids go to camp. And we go to these conferences and these events and we go there and we, we come back with these testimonies. Oh, man, God did this. This was so awesome. Man, God spoke to me and I just felt the presence of God in that moment. And then sometimes we can come to church and it's like, ah, it's just not the same. I wish it was more like camp. I wish it was more like that conference. I wish it was more like whatever. But here's the thing that the Bible tells us. God's presence is the same at that conference, at that camp, as He is right here in this moment at Harvest Hill. He does not change. And so what has changed? It must be us. Because we can go to those conferences and those camps. We can go on those mission trips. We can go with an expectation that God is going to do something miraculous and incredible. And our eyes are scanning the horizon, waiting for him to pop up. And then we come to church and we get through the routine where we find our seat. And we get comfy and we go through the motions of song. And we completely miss the presence of God. But we were present. God, I had good intentions today. Do we completely miss what he wanted to do in our life? You understand this This is what this is so beautiful. The church. We need to gather in the name of Jesus Christ with other people who are in come in the name of Jesus Christ and the promise of God that we are in his presence. But what the Bible says is we can be in the presence of God and be presently here but completely miss it. Because we come with the wrong expectation or no expectation. Why are you here? Why are you here? Second danger we see here in Mark chapter 11. The good intention of gaining information but evading intimacy. These men approached Jesus and they wanted an answer. They felt entitled that Jesus should give them an explanation. But Jesus doesn't. Instead, he poses a question to deal with their hardened heart. Jesus wanted them to evaluate themselves and their relationship with God, and it began in their heart. It's what the greatest commandment is really about. Mark chapter 12, you can read it later. We're going to read it again here in a second. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. These are the greatest commandments. Both commands of love are agapeo love, which means sacrificial love. Which meaning the command to love God is not just an intellectual exercise. It has to have intimacy. It has to be sacrificial I have to be willing, God gave up for me to be in this relationship. I have to be willing to give up what I think I know and the authority I think I have and allow God just to do what only he can do in my life. So these, this group, they came to Jesus, they knew the word of God. They were in the house of God. They had been intellectually trained. They had all the information before them, but they lacked intimacy. It's a prayer request I have for you all to pray for me. Some of you all know that this, uh, this last December, I've, I finally got my master's. Just not my lightsaber yet, but I've got my master's. Ah, you all Star Wars fans, you got that. But anyway, um, I finally got my master's. It's been like years of just going through this process, and it took years just to even pray about it before it even started, but it's finally done, and I've yet to do it on my wall to like show it, but uh, I, I promise you I do have it I, if you'd like to see it. But anyway... Here's my prayer request, because one thing I learned or, or found out about myself just in asking this question in the last couple of weeks, God's been working on my heart, is I, I enjoyed seminary. I think it was beneficial. I learned a lot. I was challenged a lot. I grew a lot. But one thing I learned about myself after going through seminary is I began to make my understanding of God an intellectual exercise rather than an intimate encounter. to know more. What does that mean? What is that word? Get all this information but completely miss the point. God's not impressed with my head knowledge. But He is if my heart's after Him. My confession to you is that I've allowed my personal Bible study and sometimes even my preaching become intellectual but not intimate. And there's a danger there. God's working me through it, but I'm asking you to pray for me about it. The final danger we see here in this encounter is the danger of being authoritative but actually lacking Authority. These individuals came thinking, well, I've heard this before. I've seen this before. I've got this all under control. And we're the authority here. And you know what? We can do that right now in this place. I've heard this story before. I've heard this passage before. You know, I, my life's pretty good right now. I got things under control. I'm in charge of me. I'm responsible for me. I'm the authority of my life. We come thinking that we are the authority. We fail to see the true authority. This group was in a place of authority. They they surrounded Jesus physically, though. This is the image. When they surround Jesus, here's what it was. It was to show him they were the authority figures here. This was a power trip on the Son of God because they believed the authority that they had achieved and worked so hard for and accomplished in the life that they were living, they believed that overrode any authority Jesus was claiming to present in their life at this moment. And we can be exactly like these men and we forget that we have no leverage on the Almighty God. these men try to intimidate jesus with their worldly authority and this wasn't the first time and it wasn't the last time mark chapter 12 the pharisees come to jesus asking him a question to trap him concerning taxes mark chapter 12 the sadducees come to jesus to trap him with a question concerning the resurrection finally in mark chapter 12 a scribe comes to jesus trying to trap him and test him concerning the great commission and it isn't that we can't ask God questions or desire a deeper understanding, but our first desire has to be an intent, be intentional about intimately engaging with the God of authority. When we come into his intimate, intimate presence of God, believing that I am the authority over my life, that I am in charge, I hold the remote control, I have the power, I have the authority, here's what happens, is we will fail to hear what we truly need to hear because we feel we already know this. We've already got this figured out. Pastor must be preaching at so-and-so today, or I wish so-and-so was here today to hear this. But if I believe that God is the authority over all life, including my own, then I have to believe that God and His authority has brought me here to this moment to have His words spoken over me and to be authority over my life. It's not about who isn't here or who should be listening, it's about, okay, am I? My I hearing what God is trying to say to me? Or do I have things that I am blocking him? I got places I need to be. I got things I need to do. And it's almost lunchtime. What a sad statement to be in the presence of Jesus and yet not recognize Jesus. And this is why we're asked our question. Why it's so important with our relationship with God. But not just with our relationship with God and our relationship with church, but in every relationship and every aspect of our life. Hear this people walk away because they forget the why. And not just in the relationship with God, but all avenues of life. Marriages sometimes aren't merry, jobs are not joyful. Family is not always fantastic. Finances are not always fun. School is not always swell. And relationships don't always revive or relax. And so people walk away because they forget the why. Why am I here in this situation? So I've had some personal time to evaluate this, and so I won't let myself off the hook. Why am I preaching this message right now? Am I preaching... This is a question I had to wrestle with this week. Am I preaching this message because I know at about 1045, 1050, you all are going to expect me to come up here and have something witty to say? Because that's what you pay me for, right? To Be funny. I got an amen over there. That's right. Thank you. Am I preaching this because I... Because I feel that you expect me to preach something, and so I better have something ready. Or am I preaching this because I believe this is what God wants to say to us all? So that's where my message prep started this week. God, what do you want to say to your people? How can I be a part of it? And I, what I came to understand this week is when we don't come with the right intentions, we will fail to have the proper expectations. Why did you come to church today? Maybe it's something you did. Maybe someone made you come. I won't ask you to confess that. I had a drug problem, too, when I was younger. I drug the church every Sunday. ha! Pastor Joe... Here's another question, not just why are you here right now. Here's a question I think everybody here needs to really ask. It's not if. Why and where does God want me to be involved? It's not if. Or does he? Why should I be involved? You go out in this week, you're going to encounter people that don't know Jesus Christ. You need to ask this question, why should I share my faith? Why should I go on missions? Why should I get plugged into a small group or a Bible study? See, if we don't know the answer to the why, we can do everything with good intentions, but we can always fail because we don't have the right expectations. I believe the answer, if you want to turn to Mark chapter 12, we're going to pick up in verse 28, and we're going to wrap up here. I believe all these can be answered the why in Jesus' final test of the, of the day of Tuesday. Beginning in verse 28 of Mark chapter 12, it says, One of the scribes, and this was someone who knew the law of God, they would, they would, they would make sure the law was ready to be read and taught to the people, one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and that's everything talking at the beginning of Mark chapter 12. They try to test and question and trap Jesus. And so he heard this. He, he, he was a witness of this going on and he heard how Jesus responded. And seeing that he being Jesus answered them well, meaning he, he approved of what Jesus said, how he responded to these questions, how he took on these tests. He decided or he asked him, Jesus, which commandment, Is the most important of all. So if I were to get anything right in my life, what should I do? And Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's taken from the Shema of the the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And you shall love the Lord your God with your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribes said to him, you are right. Yay, Jesus got it right. That's where you applaud Jesus in that moment when you're reading the Bible. Go, Jesus, way to go. You're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is the one and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And this is important because this man understood that God gave the act of sacrifices and burnt offerings in order to maintain a righteous relationship with him. Yet he understands that for me to love God and to love people the way God commands is more important than that. I can go through the routine. I can, be, I can be physically present in the routine of worship, but I can still miss the point. For, verse 33, And to love one's neighbors as oneself is much more than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifice. Verse 34, And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. I've read that a hundred times probably, but something really just, I mean, sometimes, I don't know if you've ever had the experience with the Word of God that it just like becomes one of those old 3D pictures that something just pops out of the page all of a sudden, and God's like, did you see it? I don't know if you caught what Jesus said to this man. Here was this man who was present with Jesus. He sought information from Jesus. He even recognized that there was a level of authority in Jesus but he wasn't seeking his presence. He wasn't seeking intimacy. He wasn't acknowledging that Jesus was a true authority. And when he answered Jesus, or Jesus answered him, and the man responded, yay, Jesus, you got it right. Jesus said this to the man, you are not far from the kingdom of God. This man acknowledged Jesus' answer was correct. Yay. He acknowledged what Jesus said was truth. And yet, he still wasn't fully there. Jesus says, you are not far from. It sounds like something I tell my kids when we go on a long trip and they ask, how much farther is it? How, when are we going to be there? How much longer? And I say, what? Well, we're not that far. It could be hours still, but at least I give them some sort of band-aid to soothe the womb. We're not that far. What's that mean? Well, we're closer than when we started, right? What What does old mean? We're not there yet. Here's this man that says Jesus' answer was correct, yet he was not quite there. What did he need? He needed what we need in our wine the authority of God. And it's found in Jesus Christ alone. The intimacy with the Father only found through Christ. And the continual presence of God through the indwelling Holy Spirit that comes by accepting Jesus for all that He is and all that He desires in our life. This man was so close. Good intention. What a sad statement, right there, Mark. You're not quite there. You're not far from it. it Maybe us this morning. I don't know why you came. I hope it was an expectation. But I know sometimes it can be this is just where I go and what I do on Sundays and it's Sunday, it's time to go to church. We go to church on Sunday. You may be here visiting this morning and this is where you wanted to try out and, and thank you for that. But what we see in Mark chapter 11 is we can be physically present this morning with questions and seeking information and desiring an understanding and we might be a believer in this situation and, and we have acknowledged God but if we acknowledge God's full authority over our life? Have we acknowledged God's full authority over this place, over the worship team? See, this, this isn't about Pastor Mike. This isn't about us. The songs they sing and how they sing them Pray for our worship team. I hope you're praying for our worship team, that they're following God's lead, leadership and guidance to do what God wants to do in this place. And so it's not about us. It's what God wants to do to usher into his intimate presence. But not just here. Here's another thing that we all need to understand that I'm still wrestling with is our life isn't about us. And I want to say something that may kick us in the teeth, but here's a truth that I see in Scripture but has been misquoted and misrepresented You know what? The cross isn't even about you. A little bit of it is. But the cross is really about the holy authority of a righteous God. The Bible says that no one is righteous. No, not one. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. You jump down to verse 21. Says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. And the law was the authority over God's people leading up to Jesus Christ. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, what's that mean? It means that everything in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus, this righteousness apart from the law, the righteousness of God that came through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there's no distinction, for all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, that word means substitute, by His blood to receive by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. What was it to show? His righteousness. His righteous authority. Because in His divine forbearance, in His knowledge, in His understanding, not mine, He passed over former sins, able to show his righteousness at the present time so that he He might be just, and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. The cross, yes, paves the way that we can have an intimate relationship with God. We can be ushered into His presence. We can have the Spirit dwelling inside us. We can hear His voice speaking to us. But the cross isn't so much about us as it is about His righteous authority over us. There was a debt to be paid that we could not pay on our own, but God stepped in to pay it in full. And that's his authority. So do we believe in the authority of God over all of our life? And what I do, do I do what I do because of God's authority over my life? You may be here this morning and you're like, well, Pastor, I don't even know if I'm a believer. I just kind of came here. And here's the question I want to have for you. That that could be an answer, why are you here? Well, I came because I'm seeking and I heard this may be a place to go to seek. But I don't even know if I'm believing here here's my question. If if that's you here this morning, and it could be for all of us actually, do you believe in happenstance? Happenstance means things by chance. Do you believe in happenstance or holy happenings? See, I may use this word or this phrase, you know, oh, that's a pretty big coincidence. I don't actually believe in coincidences. So if you ever hear me say it, you can just point at me and laugh. Ha ha, hypocrite. You know, Go ahead. Because you know, I don't believe in coincidences. I don't think, believe things happen by chance. Because I believe in the God of all authority, who knows all things, can do all things. Nothing is impossible with him. He's seen everything already play out. So, nothing happens by chance or coincidence. So, here's the thing you're not here by chance or coincidence because the God of all authority has brought you here to this place. Why? To meet with Him. You're in a moment of a holy happening in your life. And what God does is He's not going to force you into this relationship, but He's going to extend the invitation, He's going to extend the gift through Jesus Christ become this place, you know what, I don't did everything right. I am not righteous. I don't make the right decisions all the time. I do what the Bible calls sin. I fall short of what God really wants me to be doing. And I can't be good enough to remove that sin problem. But because God knows that, because He's God of all authority, He stepped in through Jesus Christ in the flesh to die on a cross for my sin. They placed Him in a tomb. He rose again. I could be completely forgiven if... If, here's the if you may be at, if I believe that in my heart and confess it with my mouth, the Bible says when I do that, I will be saved. That's why you're here this morning if you if you have to accept Jesus Christ. It's not because someone drug you here or made you come. It's because God has brought you here to begin a relationship with you. For God so loved you, He gave His only Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. If you're here this morning and you have not begun that relationship, I'm going to invite you not to just have more information today, but to begin this intimate encounter with the one true God. If you're here this morning and you're a believer, and your answer to why am I here is now, well, I wish I, would, I could change that answer how we started. <laughs> Maybe you just need to come and kneel before the Father and apologize to Him for making this something it shouldn't have been. You've been coming with good intentions but you want to change that to holy expectations. I don't know how God's spoken to you, but now's the time to respond. I'm going to ask Jackson to come up and lead us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy, for even allowing us to be in this presence, to even open up your word, Lord. You may have access to it and have your spirit just speaking to us and convicting us and and rebuking us and training us and correcting us for righteousness that we may be thoroughly equipped for everything you've already seen that's going to happen today and the rest of this week. Lord, I thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for every individual. You know exactly why we came, but you also know why you want us here Not just to go through the motions of worship and to make this about a routine, but Lord, to have a relationship and to deepen that relationship with you. And thank you, Lord, we get to have that through Jesus Christ. Father, I pray in this moment for those who are here, your spirit is pressed upon them and they've been given a clear vision that they are not saved. They are not in a relationship with you. They have all this information, but they are not intimate. Lord, in this moment it's become a time invitation that when we all stand, that they just step out of the aisle and come down and let it be known to me, and most importantly to you, that they want to begin a relationship with you. Father, well, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ who I know struggle just as I've struggled this week. and Kind of just doing what you think you should be doing. Checking it off the list. Being physically there but missing it all. Well, I think you come to this place and just showered your grace upon us, your mercy upon us, just to give us this awakening, this revival in our own hearts. So we come to this time of invitation with expectation of what you're going to do with what you just laid upon us. Forgive me if I failed you in any way, if I've gotten in your way, Lord. I ask that you just, by your mercy, just take that out of hearts and ears, Lord, that only your truth be what goes and what is remembered here this morning. Lord, in this moment we come to invitation. Let us not just be hearers of your word, but doers of it. So do with us what you want in this time. Pray it all in your son's name. Amen. Might you to stand and I invite you to come.